Good morning, and welcome to Jew in the City Speaks with your host, Allison Josephs, also known as Jew in the City. On this show and in our organization, we seek to... At first, our, our mission was to actually break down stereotypes about Orthodox Jews. If you've been listening in the last few months, you've discovered that we've actually made a tweak to our mission statement. Um, and unfortunately, as we sort of got deeper into, I would say, my personal understanding of the Orthodox community... I discovered that there's more nuance um, and there is sort of an underbelly of the Orthodox world. Um, and I had been blessed for so many years to really only be exposed to uh, the positives of the Orthodox world. And I had visited many different communities across the spectrum of Orthodoxy, from more modern to uh, more right wing. But I had been around healthy people um, and I'd had a very good experience um, and seen a lot of healthy and happy families. Um, but when you put yourself out there on the internet um, and you uh, talk about all the positives of the community, um, you inspire a lot of people, but you also end up attracting people that had different experiences, had negative experiences. And these are the people at Project Mahom. Um, these are the people that we're serving who um, grew up Orthodox, but um, you know experienced uh, religion as something abusive, something as a weapon. Um, and we tr strive to show them the positivity um, and the balance that, you know, we've sort of made a name for ourselves uh, for all these years at Jew in the City. Um, today's uh, guest, Aviva bennett -Tribush, um, I we're Facebook friends for a while now. I'm not exactly sure, you know, when exactly or how we um, met originally. I think maybe she was a Jew in the City fan. We'll ask her in a minute. Um, I, sure, I sure was. <laughs> sure was. Okay, awesome. Um, but... Um, I noticed that she posted um, recently in the last few months about dealing with postpartum depression. Um, and what really struck me about her, first of all, her honesty in this um, was that it seemed like actually the medical world had failed her in terms of treating her, but um, she advocated for her own health. And uh, she really was extremely strong to you know, seek out answers and treatment when um, the professional should have helped her. And um, you know, what I would have said maybe a few years ago is that there's a stereotype that Orthodox women aren't strong or, you know, don't speak up for ourselves. And I think there's still a lot of us who are. Um, what I've sadly discovered um, in my time working with the people of Project Mahom is that um, we have our own problems in sort of the mental health uh, industry in, in parts of the Orthodox world. Um, there's unfortunately a, a lack of understanding. There's um, a stigma probably everywhere, but I think unfortunately, especially even more so in parts of the Orthodox world. Um, and there's some abuses that occur where, um, you know, pills are being doled out um, from crooked doctors um, and sort of being uh, given out like candy to members of the community as opposed to actually dealing with things um, as they should be with medical professionals. Um, this is painful for me to, you know, have discovered. There have been articles um, in mainstream publications about this, and we've had some, you know, experiences ourselves seeing this um, up close. So um, while I, I can't claim that the entire Orthodox community is handling uh, mental health issues um, as perfectly as possible, um, I think a lot of us are. And I think sometimes um, we are so strong about it um, that sometimes we are even maybe more advanced than parts of the mental health industry themselves. And so, again, what we like to show here at Jew in the City um, are people that would surprise you in terms of the Orthodox world. 
that you know the articles showing the problems in the mental health um, reach far more than um, our content ever does. But um, still, we try to make the stories nuanced and show perspectives we've never seen before. Um, and Aviva, without any further delay, thank you so much for joining us today. Thank you, Allison, for having me. It's such an honor and a privilege. Um, awesome. So, so tell us first, um, like a little about your background growing up. Like, where did you grow up, and how did you grow up Jewishly? Yes, sure. So, I was born and bred in Two Garden Hill, which is part of Queens, New York, and I grew up in a very mainstream Orthodox family. I went to Beis Yaakov Elementary School. I went to a Beis Yaakov High School. I then studied for a year in a Beis Yaakov Seminary in Israel, and then I went on to Queens College. Uh, Many of the students in my classes were Orthodox, many were not Orthodox, many were not Jewish, and growing up the way I did in the community I did, it was not a difficult transition for me. I grew up very open-minded, and, you know, in the family I grew up in, I was very blessed where, you know, we talked about politics, we talked about tons of Judaism, I mean, every Shabbos, the Parsha, the, you know, really just challenging each other with questions on what was going on, and there was no question that was ever a bad question. So we were actually um, trained from a young age to question things, to go against the grain, which I think, you know, has helped me throughout my life, personally, professionally, you know, medically in the last year, definitely things um, that I attribute to my upbringing and mostly to my parents, but as well to my teachers and, of course, rabbis of the community. So I think this is so fascinating because um, you were raised in the ultra-Orthodox or Haredi world. I mean, certainly, you know, um, more open-minded, but um, this sort of in terms of bringing nuance to the story, and this is such a, a challenging um, task that we have to um, speak out about the problems but not condemn the entire Haredi world as we do it, but rather sort of talk about um, specific symptoms that are causing people pain as opposed to um, saying that an entire community um, is written off. So um, what about mental health? Like, was that ever topics that came up or things that were safe to talk about or sort of what was your knowledge or exposure to different mental health issues growing up? For sure. Great question. So growing up, um, I don't remember a time where it was talked about, but I also don't remember a time that it wasn't talked about, meaning if it ever came up in conversation, I don't remember it being, you know, shoved under the rug or hush-tush. There were never really conversations like that in my particular circle, meaning in my family, my friends, um, even even kids in my class who um, were, you know, raised differently, but things were not, things weren't whispered about. We really just said things as they were. As I continued in my, you know, journey of life, I um, became really good friends with Aviva and Sneaklock, who also live in Two Garden Health, Queens. And for those of you who don't know, Sneaklock is the founder of Amudim, which is an incredible organization which really, just, it's amazing what they're able to do. There, there isn't a sales pitch that I could give for them that would do it justice. Just really there for victims of, of, of sexual abuse, victims of addiction, victims of so many mental health issues and things. And I actually called them when I was on the hunt for help for myself, you know, later on in the story when we get to more of what I went through um, after my second child was born. But what they do... You know, similar to what you do, Allison, in breaking down stereotypes of, you know, things, misconceptions in the Orthodox world, they're just spearheading this in getting the help and the advocacy for those in need when 
they don't even have enough exposure. There are going to be people listening to this who are going to say, who is Amudim? And, you know, the first thing I would suggest is go on to Amudim.org because they're amazing. And they're the first organization that I give money to, you know, and I, I give 10%, you know, of what I make. And they're the first organization on my list because, number one, they are local to where I am. And number two, they just, they have such an impact in what they do for this epidemic, this um, not even just talking about the overdoses and the things going on, but just the mental health and how so many in the community, out of the community, are just not dealing with it the right way. They're dealing with it so well. So, I mean, we know Amudim well, um, and I would say a large percentage of the members of Project Makom um, were, you know, beneficiaries of Amudim services um, and sort of once they've been stabilized can come to us and learn how to rebuild. So um, they do incredible work and um, we, we are big fans over here. So, okay, so you had your first child, everything went okay, it sounds like. Um, and then, so take us through when um, you started to, you know, deal with, I guess, postpartum depression happens postpartum. So yeah. like when did this take place yeah. and what were the signs and just sort of take us through um, this episode. Sure, absolutely. So just this is really the Cliff Notes version and for those of you who have questions and want to reach out to me, I'm very easily accessible on Instagram. My handle is Remember Me, and that's actually where I first originally posted my message that you saw um, on August 13th, 2018, which was my daughter's birthday. Um, so when I had my son a little over four years ago, I was very, very sick. I had severe hyperemesis gravidarum, and for those of you who don't know, it's a very severe case of morning sickness is what they call it, but Basically, I was throwing up 5 to 15 times a day and um, severely dehydrated and malnourished. And I had really good care. My dad's a doctor. My brother's a doctor. And I was very, very blessed with not needing to be hospitalized and to get home treatments of IVs and things like that. However, after he was born, I did not develop depression. I had post-traumatic stress disorder, which meant that I had food anxiety, food phobia, woke up with nightmares, thinking I was pregnant and who was going to take care of the baby if I'm this sick again, you know, breaking out in sweats. I went for help immediately. My, I actually called my rabbi and asked him who to go to because in the community I'm in, we're, we're very, like, my rabbi's on my cell phone. He's one of the first numbers I ever call. We're very close. We talk all the time. I talk to him more than my husband does. My husband sees him every week in shul. So mm-hmm. I called him up and I said, who do I go to? And he gave me a number for an organization called Relief. And they directed me to the absolute best place. I was treated within two months. I went through cognitive behavioral therapy. And they told me, if you have this condition again in future pregnancies, here's what to look out for so that if it happens, we can get you treated immediately. So then um, a couple of years later, I was blessed to get pregnant with, we were blessed, um, with our daughter. And the severe hyperemesis gravidarum was much worse. I was on complete bed rest for most of the pregnancy. I was on four IVs a day. I had a pick line. I was really sick. I was barely eating because I knew it would just make me throw up. So I lost 45 pounds in that pregnancy, and it was really tough. But my spirits were really high because I was expecting what happened after my son was going to happen again. I would just bounce right back. And, you know, if I needed some therapy, I would go for it. However, that wasn't the case. After my daughter was born, I was really sick. I needed a blood transfusion. I was rehospitalized. I had postpartum preeclampsia. A lot of medical jargon over there, but it was bad. And I wasn't in a good place. My medical care was very bad. 
I was told numerous times you don't want to be in a hospital in the middle of the summer because that's when there are residents who don't know what they're doing. And it was a tough time. And I came home, and I did not want to look at my daughter. And this was a very wanted child. This was one who we, I mean, we, we prayed for her for a long time. And I knew during my pregnancy that it was all going to be worth it after we had her. And then I wouldn't look at her. I didn't want to feed her. I was too malnourished to even breastfeed, so we had a baby nurse. I never fed her. I didn't even go into the room. I didn't want to see her. And I knew it about the four-week mark, which I was on bed rest for another three weeks postpartum. So about a week later, when I was allowed to get out of bed, I noticed things were bad. Things were really bad. I didn't want to be with my daughter, and I didn't want to be with my husband, who I loved, who took, who I love currently, but at the time was so in love with. I mean, he was the most amazing father. He toilet trained our three-year-old. That's unheard of. A man who's working full-time to be toilet training a three-year-old boy, that's crazy. Yeah. And I knew that. And I was, I was incapacitated, and he just, he, he just jumped up and went into mom role and dad role. And I didn't want to talk to him, and I didn't want to look at him. I didn't want to look at either of my kids. And I knew something was really, really bad. So the first thing I did was I called my sister, who is not a doctor, but should be. She's extremely knowledgeable. She's an attorney, and she just knows things about everything. So I called her first, and I said, what are the symptoms of postpartum depression? I think that's what I have. And her response to me was, tell me your symptoms. And I started telling her, except there were things that I didn't share with her because I was too scared that if I let the words out, they would, like, send me to an institution. And when I went to, um, when I went to the pediatrician with the baby, I did not answer the questions honestly. The pediatrician has a whole, you know, a whole um, rating chart. They have a survey on postpartum depression. And they don't say that, but they have a whole uh, a scale. And I was scared that they would take my child away from me. And I knew that even though I couldn't care for my child, she had the proper care. So wow. this was definitely in the back of my mind of, I know I sound crazy, and therefore I can't say it because I'm scared of what they're going to do. So I wasn't being fully honest until I went for help. And that was four weeks postpartum when I sat down in front of a wonderful therapist. And I opened up to her because I knew that nothing was going to leave that room. I knew with HIPAA violations and all that stuff, you know, as long as she didn't think I was a threat, which, you know, clearly after speaking to me, she knew I wasn't going to harm the baby, you know, God forbid, I wasn't going to do any self-harm. So that was extremely helpful for me. And I had a good few sessions with her. And then I met with the psychiatrist who very much wanted to medicate me. And I said, listen, I'm not someone who wants to jump on pills. I am the daughter of a doctor. I did grow up with this. I'm not averse to medication. If this is what you feel as my medical professional will help me, I'm going to do it. But this is something that I'm going to do knowing I want to get off of it. I want to get back to old me, the go-getter, the ambitious, who, who's not here. That's not who's here today. The person who's here today doesn't want to leave bed, doesn't want to feed her children, doesn't want to make dinner. I love food. If you follow me on Instagram, you can watch me cooking because, thank God, I'm getting much, much better every day. We're, we're, we're getting closer to the old me. Or as one of my sales coaches once said, the new and improved, Aviva 2.0. So I was doing great with this therapist. And unfortunately, the place where I was at, which I highly recommend, Long Island Jewish Hospital, has a perinatal unit. So if anyone listening to this needs to make some calls for yourself, 
they're fantastic. They're wonderful through the intake process. They're wonderful through matching you up with the proper therapist. They have group therapy for those who wanted that. I personally did not ever want that. And they were wonderful until they said, hey, um, we no longer accept any of whatever my insurance plan is. Anyone with this insurance plan, we don't cover this insurance. And it was like a blanket statement of a huge insurance provider. And I was bummed, but I'm like, okay, let's call the organization that got me here to begin with, you know, four years ago with my son. Relief was the one. I called up LIJ's perinatal unit myself by my daughter because I knew how great they were from when I went with my, when I went after my son was born. So I said, okay, let me call Relief. And I don't want to speak badly about any organization, so I'm just going to say it was not a pleasant experience the second time around. So much so that when I was calling, I just said, listen, I need the help. I'm begging for the help. If I told you that I was suicidal, would I get the help faster? Like, it was, it was really bad. And I wasn't getting the help, and it was, I wasn't myself. And I needed, I needed someone to advocate for me, but there was nobody. There was nobody who was able to. I love my husband, but he doesn't have my personality. He is not able to, you know, Demand things with other people. And so let's let's just, I want to back up a little bit here um, because, first off, so in theory, um, someone should have caught uh, something going wrong with that survey that they gave you, but sort of part of your mental state not being all right, you almost had like paranoid ideas about what would happen if you told the truth. So, did you ask anyone, like, is is that common? Like, meaning, because it seems like almost the mechanism that's supposed to find um this depression is maybe faulty if you like women can just kind of outsmart how to answer the questions because they feel scared that the baby will be taken away see what i'm saying that's a really good question no i I never even thought to ask that question um i was very focused on me at the time i wasn't focused on how to help other people it was only after i shared this post on facebook and instagram where i realized by sharing it with others, how many people responded to me, oh, my goodness, I went through this, you know, I I wish I was able to talk to you when I was going through it, or, okay, I'm going to go seek help now, thank you for sharing this, and things like that. I didn't even think of the impact on other people, but I never asked that question. You're right. That should be be a really important question to ask. So tell us, you said you needed someone to advocate for you, so it was almost, I'm saying you had good care, and then um, because you lost insurance, you were, you know, stuck without care. Shouldn't there be we offered to pay out of pocket. We offered yeah. to pay my current therapist out of pocket because I was doing so well with her. And it was only for a short time. I was only there probably for a month. And it was like, you know, maybe one session a week. Like it was only a couple of sessions that I was with her. And I I trusted her and it was it was a great very important to have that relationship with any yeah. kind of therapist where where that trust is there. And unfortunately I know that because once I did finally get to another therapist. It was a disaster. Mm. It was really, really hard because I didn't have that. You know, I at one point this past summer, my mom, who I'm really close to, was very sick. She was hospitalized. I was going through what I was going through, and I didn't have my mom along with me. And it was one of the hardest challenges of my life. And I would sit down with this therapist who was supposed to be there to help me get through it, and she'd say, wow, this must be really hard for you. And I was like, looking at her and be like, yes, it's really hard for me. Are you going to help me? Like, it was just, it was it was a terrible relationship. And Amudin actually directed me to my current therapist, who has been such a blessing, such a gem. She's just, she's amazing. 
she's she's incredible and she's helping me in ways that I couldn't have thought a year ago I would ever get out of this. And she's fantastic, but the fact that I had to keep advocating and I had to be the one doing this for myself, and this is to say that I'm very, very lucky with the support system I have. I have an incredibly loving and supportive husband. I mean, there were times where I was going through this where I looked at him and I said, I don't understand why you don't divorce me. Why would you stay married to me? I'm a terrible wife. I'm a terrible mother. And if I was expressing those things to him, you could only imagine what kind of wife and mother I had been. And he never would have left me. There's no way, but I'm sure there are many other women who might be suffering with this and their husbands say, I can't deal with this crazy person. This isn't what I signed up for. Bye. Because they don't realize this person's sick and needs help. This isn't right. her. This, this isn't raging hormones. This is a hormonal imbalance. This is not the person I married. This is the person I married who needs help and is crying out for help and isn't getting the help she needs. So while I had the support and I had the love and I had an incredible, have an incredible family, nobody knew how to help me. And the organizations let me down. They so really, what, they, they let me down. What would I'm you want to not let different, me down. If you could, yeah, if you could, um, I'm saying besides this, this, you know, survey seems to have not been like fully, it was almost too obvious for you. You, you figured it out and you sort of outsmarted it. So that might be sort of like a, a loophole that needs to be closed. What do you think um, sort of the medical community um, should be providing for um, postpartum mothers to make sure that um, they don't slip through the cracks? I'm saying it's really because you have this loving, supportive community and you were raised with Jewish values of going against the grain, probably like an Abraham Avinu, you know, kind of arguing with God or a Moshe Rabbeinu arguing with God. I imagine those are some lessons that you took. But let's say someone didn't have that, um, you know, supportive community and um, those types of lessons, what do you think the medical community should be doing um, to support um, postpartum mothers to make sure that someone doesn't fall through the crack like you did? Yeah, yeah, that's, you know, it's a really great question, and if I was going to say this is, you know, <laughs> this is a blank check and someone else is funding it, I'd have yeah. a whole lot of ideas, but my ideas don't seem like it could be feasible. I mean, every single woman who gives birth should automatically have someone to talk to because mm-hmm. I wasn't going to fill it out at my daughter's pediatrician because I was scared they were going to take the baby away. But if they had me sit down in a 30-minute mandatory session where they asked mm-hmm. me certain questions and where I felt safe enough to actually open up and talk about what I went through, they could mm-hmm. figure out in two seconds that I need help. And then they can send me off to the right people. And, you know, I, I did not breastfeed my children, but there sure were lactation consultants in the hospital who tried their darndest to get me to. And why do lactation consultants get that one-on-one time where they're able to, quote-unquote, pitch every new mom? And there could, I mean, I don't even know the numbers because I haven't looked into it, but I'm sure there are large number of women who suffer from postpartum anxiety, postpartum depression. Um, I mean, in, in my case, it was a little interesting with post-traumatic stress disorder because most women don't go through traumatic pregnancies, but there are ones who do, or even ones who go through anything that's a slight, uh, something that's not a normal pregnancy, meaning, oh, I love being pregnant. If I hear one more person ever tell me, <laughs> I love being pregnant, I want to hit them because 
I hated every second of it. And I love my children, and my children are extremely wanted. But I was very open about my pregnancy struggles. I'm an extremely open person. Again, any of you who follow me on social media, I'm as real as they come. I say things like they are. I'm not one of these immaculate, magazine-ready kitchens. Like, I cook. I'm the real deal. Yes, when I pour salt, there's salt all over my counter. There's garlic powder that comes out of the shaker at the wrong time. And that's just who I am, and that's part of me. So I talk about the struggles. I talked about um, the postpartum depression because it was it was so important for me to open up publicly about it. And I think that has the help been given to me, and I'm, I'm a unique situation because I went searching for it. What if I wouldn't have gone searching for it? I don't even want to know or think, what about the thousands, if not millions of women who are suffering alone and in silence, and it's for sure has to be, I mean, it has to be killing their marriages. It has to be killing their relationships with their children. I would have no relationship with my children had I not gotten help. Mm-hmm. I wouldn't talk to them. I wouldn't look at them. I would send them off to school and have a good day, goodbye, good riddance. I don't want to see you. And that's terrible because I love what? my children. And What kind of response did you get from um, the Orthodox community when you posted about this? Oh, the response was overwhelming. I was... Other than one close family member who did not, funny enough, does not have social media and called me up <laughs> screaming about me, talking about my dirty laundry, and my response was, did you read my post? <laughs> no, no, that's not important. Did yeah. you read my post? Yeah. And I had her read my post, and her words were, I'm so sorry, you're right, I'm so proud of you. Because all she heard was, wow, Aviva was so real on social media. Aviva opened up. That was the only negative reaction I had. The messages were pouring in. Thank you for talking about this. I'm so happy you talked about this. I went through this. It gets better. I promise. There was a lot of encouragement that came. There was also a lot of cries for help. Many, many cries for help of, wow, you're right. I I need to go get some help. Thank you. And... To me, it was worth it. It was worth everything I went through if I could help one person. And that's why, you know, as soon as you said, can we talk about this publicly? I'm like, yes, yes, go for the help. If you have to be your own advocate, it's hard. I'm not going to sugarcoat it. I'm not going to say, oh, yeah, calling up agency after agency. Hi, do you accept this insurance? Hi, do you accept this insurance? Hi, can I pay you out of pocket? Because a lot of them don't even accept payment out of pocket. If it's through a hospital, I don't know what. The bureaucratic red tape is crazy, and I'm speaking specifically in America. I live in New York City. I, you know, if you're listening to this in Israel, it's totally different with socialized medicine. I can't even talk about those things because I don't know. I'm not, you know, I'm not going to say things that I that I know when I don't. But I mean, we, we have about health. a minute and a half left. I'm just, I would like to just wrap this up. It's really fascinating. I'm so glad that you, you know, are have kind of, um, first of all, are doing better. Thank God, but also, you know. Um, sort of brought this realness out and helping people. Um, if you can do this in about 90 seconds, I know the whole like sweeping under the rug thing is sort of like what people think the Orthodox community does. And in some cases you do do that, but like, why do you think that that's not actually the Jewish way? Why is the Jewish way to do what you did to speak, you know, sort of truthfully of about it's not what's going the Jewish on? way. Yeah, of course it's not the Jewish way. The Jewish way is, you know, guard yourself, help yourself help yourself get better, ask questions, talk to people. I mean, my rabbi was my first person I spoke to. I wasn't thinking for one split second that he was going to tell me, don't talk about this. It was, here, you need help? Call this number. They will help you. 
And he checks in with me all the time. How are you doing? How are the kids? It's totally not the Jewish way to sweep things under the rug. And it's terrible that there's a small minority who end up giving the rest of us a bad name because we're about asking questions. We're, I mean, I come from such an educated family where the thought of sweeping something under the rug would be terrible because that's, just, that's the antithesis of everything we believe in. Well, um, we're really so thrilled that, you know, you could speak about this important issue. Um, we tend to have a lot of babies in the Orthodox community. That's not a stereotype. That's a pretty pretty much a, uh, you know, a true thing. Um, and, you know, um, it's obviously, you know, I'm sure the medical community is always working to improve, but um, it's really fabulous that you, you know, took the initiative to take care of yourself, that you have this incredibly uh, loving, supportive network um, that, you know, made sure to you know, stand by you as well, and that you've been able to be a leader for, uh, you know, other women out there that may be struggling. Um, so we wish you continued healing um, and haflacha. Amen. Thank, thank you. you. Amen. And thank you again, Allison. And I'm always here if anyone has questions. I'm, I'm here to be any kind of support I can. Aviva Benetribush. And uh, you can catch us same time, same place next week. Bye-bye.